The book of Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 4. I want to read a few verses of Scripture to you here tonight. And I believe that God wants to speak to His people here in this service this evening. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 4. I want to begin reading at verse number 18. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 4. Begin reading at verse number 18. The Word of the Lord says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he, say, and he saith unto them, Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them. And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. I want to draw your attention to verse number 19 where Jesus sees these men that are fishing and they are washing their nets. And Jesus looks at them and He gives the command and He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I want to talk to you this evening on a simple thought that is taken from the statement of Jesus. This evening I want to talk to you on the thought, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Wow. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you here this evening, God. Father, I'm asking you, Lord God, that you would anoint these lips, Lord God. Help me to speak what only you would have me to speak. God, I believe that you have spoken to me and you say that you are wanting to make some people in this house this evening. Father, I'm just asking you, Lord, right now, God, that you would hide me behind the cross. God, that everything that is said and done would be used to glorify your name and to edify your kingdom. And Father, we'll never cease to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated if you haven't already been seated in the house this evening. Jesus speaking to those that would become his disciples. He sees them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, follow me and I will make you. G.K. Chesterton said one time, he says, there is one thing certain about man. And that is man is not what he was meant to be. You see, you and I were created in the image of God. When Genesis chapter 2 is, is established and the Bible says that God reaches down and picks up a handful of dust and he carves himself out the fashion of a man and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of God and man became a living soul. The Bible says that He created mankind in the image of God. 
But we understand and we know what has ha we know what happens in Genesis chapter 3 the Bible says that the serpent comes into the garden and the Bible says that he is more subtle than any beast of the field and he comes and he beguiles Eve he tempts Eve and, and through and she partakes of the forbidden fruit in the garden and she gives to Adam and Adam takes a, a pea, uh, takes a bite of that fruit and as the Bible says through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin but the Bible gives us a clear indication that Jesus came to restore to us the image of God through salvation. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 would say, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn of many brethren. You see, the new birth is a miracle of a moment. Jesus, looking at Nicodemus in John chapter 3, would tell him, he says that, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. And he gives that great discourse to Nicodemus that you must be born again. You must be born of above. You must be born of the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. And see, the new birth is a miracle of a moment, but the making of a disciple takes a lifetime. You see, right. being born again is the beginning point, but it is followed by a lifetime of growth. We are good in Christian circles about making converts, but we fail very miserably at making disciples. As we grow in the kingdom of God, as we grow in the knowledge of God, the image of God is restored in us. You see, you and I this evening, church, we are a work in progress. We like to call ourselves Christians, but how many know that the word Christian only appears about three times in all of Scripture? But the word disciple appears nearly 300 times in Scripture. Yes, Being a disciple means to follow Him. Being a follower of Jesus means that we take on His attributes. Following Him means that we are to learn of Him. Following Him means that we are to imitate Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 through 30, Jesus is speaking and He says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take My yoke upon, uh, upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. And I believe what is happening, what God is challenging the church in America today is the fact is that it is good that we have people that are being saved and we are born again, but that is just one moment in time. I believe that what He is calling every man, woman, and boy and girl that calls Jesus Christ Lord, He is calling them to a life of following Him. That's it. You see, I talk to a lot of people. 
I speak to a lot of people and they tell me, Brother Jeremy, I feel like that I'm not growing. I feel like that I'm not, I'm not reaching my full potential and what I know to be in Jesus. And here is what I have found out. Here is the one basic law of spiritual growth. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, this would be something good to write down here. Here is the one basic law of spiritual growth. If you'll do the following, God will do the making. If you'll do the following... God will do the making. God is looking for somebody that will follow Him. We used to sing the old song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. But I'm afraid that what happens is that we have relegated our, our, our experience with God to just that in salvation. We come down to an altar and we give, we repent of our sins and we give our hearts and lives to God. And since we are no longer on our way to hell, but we are now on our way to heaven, it is good. We can lift up our hands and we can say, Lord, I praise You. I thank You that You have saved me. But that is just the beginning point. The fact of the matter is, and I hear the Spirit of God speaking to people all across the land. He's saying you're saved. And that is good. That is perfect. That is wonderful. But I'm calling you to follow after me. I have a work for you to do. I have a job for you to do. I have an assignment for you to do. How many knows that God did not call us to simply sit on a pew and warm the pew. He called us to get outside the church to go out to the highways and the hedges and to compel them to come in so that his house may be full. I want to tell you right now, I believe that God is speaking to somebody in this house tonight that is saying, if you'll just follow me, I'll make you what I would have you to be. Here's what I know. You don't have to make yourself. You do not have to make yourself as you follow Christ as you have decided when he says follow me as you begin to walk after him he will begin to make you what you ought to be oh my goodness but see that's the problem that's the problem because see we're still too full of self we haven't learned to die. We haven't learned to lay the flesh down. We haven't learned that it's not about us. We, 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 we are still failing to realize that God, like I said this morning, God is not so much concerned with you being comfortable as He is your growth. I was thinking about it this after I was thinking about it this afternoon. You know, as when we're when we're born, and there's a reason why we call it growing pains. The reason why we call it growing pains, and and I'm experiencing it with my with with my kids right now. Sometimes my daughter will come to me and she'll say, I, I, "I'm hurting. My body hurts, and, and 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 it's and it's painful." And what is happening is is that she is beginning to grow. She hits spurts and she begins to grow. And I want to tell you, sometimes growing is painful. But God is looking for people. He says, "If you want to be everything." That I have called you to be. You have to be willing to lay aside everything and follow me. In the scripture that we read this, this evening, they, they were mending their nets. They were, they, they, they were washing.
between their nets. They were fishermen. And as Jesus walked by, he gave the simple call and he said, follow after me. And you know what those men did? The Bible says that they forsook all. The Bible says that they hung up their nets. They, they looked at their father and they said, we've got to go because the master is calling us. The master has need of us. The master is saying to follow me. The master is saying, I've got a work for you to do. And I want to tell the Rock Fort Church here tonight that God is saying, come after me. What needs to happen is you need to be willing to forsake everything else. It doesn't matter what your family thinks. It doesn't matter what your neighbors think. It doesn't matter what your job thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks around you. If the master's got a call on your life, it is time for you to step forth and say, though none go with me, still I will follow. I'm not turning back because I know if I follow after him, he will make me. See, we got to follow after Him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Following Jesus means to believe in Jesus. It means to believe that He is the Son of God. And the Messiah, He is the Messiah. And the Lord of all. See, He cannot simply be your, just simply be your Savior. He also has to be your Lord. We're good. We're fine with Him being our Savior. Because when we think about the fact that if He's not our Savior, then that means that we are lost. That means that we are, we are without covering for our sin. And if we die in a lost and a lost condition without a Savior, then, then the only alternative is hell. And we're good with that. And that's where a lot of us stop. Mm -hmm. We're no longer on our way to hell. But the fact is, is He needs not only to be your Savior, but He is to be your Lord. Yeah. And for Him to be your Lord means you give up all rights and privileges to your life. And He is now in control. Oh, see, in the American church, we do not like that. Because we want to be in control. We want to have, we want to have a handle on it. I'm that way. I have, I have, I, 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 I'm, I'm here being transparent. I am that way. That, that if you really want to make me uncomfortable, let me lose control of the situation. But I have found out that a lot of the time, I have found out that God is looking for people that He can be not only Savior of their life, but they can be, but He can be the Lord of their life. I used to hear the old time preachers say at times He is either Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. And we've got to understand we cannot just give Him bits and pieces of our lives. If we say that we are going to follow Him so that He can make us everything that we ought to be in Him, not only does He have to be our Savior, but He has to be the Lord of all in our lives. Not only does following Him mean that we have to believe in Him, but following Him means that we have to go in the same direction as Him. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this today. 
as we were driving over here and as we were going over to the pastor's house and then back here to the church, he would tell me that he that you know, we can we can follow him that way so that we wouldn't get lost and that we would know that where where we were going. And so in that sense, for me to follow him to where I needed to go simply means that what I have to do is yield myself to His direction. And what a great spiritual truth is there. Because here's the thing. The fact of the matter is we can say that we ought as Christians to do a lot of things in the kingdom of God. But can I tell you this? You have one job in the kingdom of God. And that is to yield. Your job in the kingdom of God is to yield yourself into the hands of an almighty God. That is to say, Lord, I don't know, but you know. Lord, I don't know where I'm going, but God, you know. And I have decided, Lord, that what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow you. He said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I want to tell you tonight, when we yield ourselves over into the hand of God and we say, God, take me. God, I'm following you. God, I'm yielding myself over to you. He's just not wanting, he's not wanting to just rearrange some stuff in your life. He's actually wanting to kill your flesh. Oh yeah. He is actually wanting to do away. That's the reason why he says that to deny is a very, I'd like to say it's a very political correct term to use. But when he says deny yourself and take up the cross, I know that we have turned the cross into a beautiful emblem. I know that, that, that we like to erect crosses and we make it such a pretty thing and, and we wear them, and some of us wear them around our necks and, and, it's a, and, we, and we paint it as a beautiful symbol. But tonight, church, I want to remind you the church is not a beautiful symbol. The, tra- the, the cross is ugly. The cross is a thing where some where something goes to die. The cross is bloody. The cross is uncomfortable. If the cross was su- if the cross was such this thing that it, that was so glamorous, then Jesus, while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, would not say, "Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me." Nevertheless, God. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. My goodness, if the Son would yield Himself into the hands of the Father and say. Father, I have chosen to follow the path that you laid out for me. How much more should the church of the living God stand up and say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There you go. Following him means that we ought to stay close to Jesus. Don't get distracted. We got too many Christians in the church that are distracted. We're distracted over so many things. I want to tell you this tonight. You want to see whether or not if your church can get distracted, start changing things. 
Ah, my goodness. I told myself on the way over here, I'm not going to meddle. But I don't know. But we, you start changing things in the church. And people start getting distracted. People backslide over the fact that you changed the color of the carpet. And I remember, I remember, I remember in our church, in our church back home in Florida that I was part of for 18 years. When we begin, when when we got to when we got to growing, at, at, at one time we were running seven, eight hundred people at, at that church. We were running multiple services and everything, and we didn't. And we, we had a church that only that only seated about one hundred eighty people, and we were running multiple services during the day. And so we had to do we had to do something. We had we we, we had to figure out a solution to this plan. And so we started talking about moving. Because where we were at at that time, it was it it, it, it was landlocked. We we couldn't it, we couldn't build anywhere. We had buildings on one side of us. We had buildings on the other side of us. We didn't have ample parking and everything. And so we decided, well, the only course of action that we have, if we do anything, that we had to move. But then we had people that that would stand up and go, well, bless God, you know, we've been, you know, you know, my family's been in this one location for forty seven years. And if, and if we go somewhere else to church, if we build another building somewhere on the other side of town or, or down the road or down the block, you know, it ain't, it ain't going to be the same anymore. And, and, and I'm standing back, are we more concerned yeah. with our traditions and being comfortable than we are expanding the kingdom of God? And I want to tell you, sometimes we get distracted. I said it this morning, I'm telling you, and, and, and we, we, are in, we are in an election season right now. And there's so many things that are, that, 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 that are being said. There's so many things that are being done. But I want to give admonishment to the church of God. And I want to tell the church, don't you become distracted by what they're saying. Don't become distracted by what a Republican says. Don't become distracted by what a Democrat says. Because my hope is not in an elephant. My hope is not in a donkey. But my hope is in the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world because all these things are going to be shaken and at the end of time they're going to crumble but I tell you the kingdom of God will still stand don't get distracted we need a persevering faith we need a faith that is not wishy-washy we need a faith that will sustain us Monday through Friday we need a faith that'll dis- that, that will sustain us where we're not down one minute and up the next. James said in, in, his, in, in his epistle, he said a double-minded man is unstable in all of their ways. Now I'm going to tell you this, and, I, and, this, and this is Bible. I have, so, I have so many people that will come up to me and go, well preacher, I don't understand why my prayers are not getting answered. I don't understand why it seems like that God is not answering me. And I understand, I understand that it can, be, it, it can be a number of different things. Why? At that time that prayers are not being answered. But here's one thing that I do know, that if you're wishy-washy in your faith with God. The Bible says, let not that man think that he should receive anything from God. You've got to understand. You've got to stand fast. As the Bible says, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. You can fight all you want, but there comes a time that you just have to stand. You may not understand what you're going through. You may not understand what you're facing, but I'm going to follow after Him no matter what hell tries to throw against me. I'm going to stand because I know as we sung tonight, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. 
You see, I want to tell you, prayer and the Word will keep you close to God. And you've got to be intentional about your relationship with Jesus. People will ask me all the time, Preacher, what's the best advice you can give me in my relationship with God? And it never fails, I'll tell them, pray and read your Bible. Pray and read your Bible. I think I'll say it again. Pray and read your Bible. I know, I know that we live in I know we live in a in, in a fast paced world nowadays and everything is just and everything is is just rush, 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 but nothing. Nothing will ever take the place of a systematic study of the Word of God. Breaking it down verse by verse, chapter by chapter, getting it on the inside of you. I want to tell you, if the only word that you get is for 30 to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, as you listen to a preacher or a pastor stand behind the pulpit, you will wither up and dry up and die. Reminded me of the woman who had the little... Had the little promise box. How many remember the little promise box that a lot of people used to have that you could pull out the little promise out of the box? And she was busy. She was rushing constantly. And she said, I, I don't have time to read my Bible today. So she goes, so as I'm going out the door, I'll just I'll pick me up one of those little verses out of the promise box. And I'll read it. And so she went over there and picked one out and Begin to read it, and it said Judas went out and hanged himself. She said, "Well, that ain't going to help me out a lot. My, maybe I need another promise." So she put it down back back in there and pulled out another one. And when she read that one, it said, "It, it, uh, it said, go and do thou likewise." <laughs> and she said, "Well, I." I can't do anything with that. So she put that one back and got out another one and said, And that which thou doest, do quickly. And I'm afraid that where we are at is that we have become parrots of the gospel. We have become parrots of the word. And that is why, oh my goodness, I'm going to try not to get off into a tangent here. But that is why. Is it okay if I can I hear that? Am I gonna mess up am I gonna mess up the, 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 the thing here? That is why so much false doctrine has crept into the church. Yeah. That is why people do not know what they believe. Why they believe it. It's because what they do is they just quote their favorite preacher. And they quote, they quote whatever they hear on the radio. They quote whatever they hear on the television. They quote, what, they quote whatever, the, whatever the popular slogan is of the day in the church. And they don't understand why. But my God, I wish that God would give some people, would raise up some preachers that would just preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For there's coming a time where men will not endure sound doctrine. But will heed to themselves teachers have an itching ears and when we turn unto lies and unto fables, my God, why don't God, why don't we just preach the word? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Following means to trust 
Jesus. You can't follow Him without trusting Him. I love the Scripture in Hebrews 11 and 8. For, for about three years of my ministry, this was a verse that impacted my life, Pastor, for, for about three years of my ministry. Actually, before we came to Kentucky. That is, speaking of Abraham, in Hebrews 11 and 8, the Bible says, by faith, Abraham went out and he did not know where he was going. And I want to tell you, there are times in our lives that we won't know where God is taking us. I'd like to be able to stand up here tonight and tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt, I understood that everything God was trying to do in my life. But I'd be lying if I told you that. There's been times in my life that I have stood back, I have knelt by my bedside, I have, I have cried out to God and I have said, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you are doing in this season of my life. There have been times in my life I have felt like Job where I said I have looked at my right hand where he doth work and I don't see him. I've looked behind me. I've looked to the left of me. I've looked all around me and I couldn't sense him anywhere. And I know that in, in, in modern Pentecostalism that's not popular preaching. That we don't, we don't like to hear things like that. But here is the thing. There will be times that you will have to trust Him not knowing what He's actually doing. Amen. We have to be able to trust Him. You have to be willing as you yield yourself into the hands of God to simply say, God... I trust you. God, I don't understand this, but I trust you. I said it this morning, God will figure out a million ways to ask you the question, do you trust me? And we've got to understand, if we are going to follow after God, and if He is going to make us everything that we ought to be, we have to be willing to trust Him. And when we understand those things, Jesus begins to make us when we follow Him. There is no greater joy in my life as a minister of the Gospel than when I begin to see people who are molded and made by the hand of God. It is almost like at times I feel like the prophet Jeremiah. When God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. Because I want to show you something when you get down there. Yeah. And he gets down there and he begins to look. And behold, there is a potter that is working a work on the wheel. 
And at times, the clay becomes marred in the potter's hands and he has to start over and he begins to make again and he begins to mold it into what, into what the image of the potter has designed that piece of clay to be. And I'm reminded of the words of God to Jeremiah when he tells Jeremiah, he says, Am I not able to do the same with the house of Israel? Am I not able to do the same with my people? And I'm here in this house tonight to let you know, is God not able to do the same for you? Is God not able to do the same for me? All we have to do is become yielded and become pliable into the hands of an almighty God. And when we follow Him, He will make us very quickly, I want to share with you some people that Scripture talks about that God made because they followed Him. I'm reminded of the Apostle Peter. The Bible says that Peter was changed from a reed to a rock. His name was actually Simon. But God changed his name to Peter. Simon meant that he was a weed that was a reed that was blowing to and fro. One minute he'd be blessing God, and the next minute he would call the curse down upon himself, saying, I do not know God. Peter is the only disciple in all of Scripture, the only apostle in all of Scripture that in one moment's time. Jesus blesses him and rebukes him at the same time. Just about. When Jesus is standing up and he says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they say, Well, some, some say that you are, are, are Isaiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then he looks at him and says, Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then just the very next verse, Jesus begins to talk about the fact that he has to go to the cross and give his life a ransom for many. And Peter stands up and says, No, that's not going to happen. And Jesus looks at him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan, because you are an offense unto me. But here was the thing. As he continued to follow God as he continued to follow after him even though that Peter didn't get everything right all at once the fact of the matter is that Peter began to follow God and Jesus looked at him and said Peter lovest thou me more than these and he said father he said Jesus you know that I love them and he said listen he said there's something I want to tell you Peter he said when you were young he said you girded yourself up and you went wherever you wanted to go he said but when you are old he said another will gird you and take you where you don't want to go he says and you will stretch forth your hands and that and he said and that was what he signified by what manner of death he would glorify God and I like and listen I'm just being honest I like Peter's response here he said well he turned around and he looked and he saw the disciple who Jesus loved following after them he said well if that's what I'm going to do what about this man right here and Jesus looked at him and said if he would that if he would that I should let him tarry till I come. He said, what is that to you? He said, follow me. And we understand what happened. That on the day of Pentecost, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothing 
tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and Peter stood up and said hey let me tell you about this Jesus whom you crucified and when he followed after God God turned him from somebody who was wishy-washy to somebody who could stand flat-footed and say let me tell you about the Lord He made Peter. He also made James and John. He turned them. They were changed from thunder to tenderness. They were hot-headed preachers. They were the ones that Jesus described as the sons of thunder. As a matter of fact, they wanted to stop another minister from casting out devils because they weren't part of their clique. And they looked at Jesus and said, well, he's not walking with us, so why should, so why should he be able to do this? And Jesus had to look at them and say, no, no, hold your peace, because if he is not against us, then he is for us. It was the same two that they were the only thing that they were concerned with was power. They were concerned about their position. You know, they're the ones that nowadays when they come into church, they want to be the ones that are going to be recognized by the pastor. Don't shout me down now. But it's the same spirit. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit that says, you know, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm trying not to meddle. I really, I'm, I'm really not. I'm trying to behave myself. But it's, the same, but it's the same spirit that says, you know, well, I've been a part of this church for 25 years. And nothing, and, 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 I, and I, believe I, sh I believe I should have a more prominent role in this church because I'm a founder of this church. Don't you know my name's on the plaque? Don't you know that I gave this pew? Don't you know that I gave this pulpit? Don't you know that my grandfather built this church? It's the same spirit. Trying to get recognition, trying to get power. As a matter of fact, James and John said... James and John said, we want to be able to sit at your right hand when we get in the we, because, because if we sit at your right hand, everybody's going to know that we're special. And we got, so, we got too many Christians in the church today that they want the spotlight. They want the title, but they don't want the towel. Oh my goodness. Jeremy, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Oh, but I'm going to preach it like I feel it right now. I'm tired. I am tired of leadership conferences. I'm tired of hearing talk, people talk about how we ought to be leaders. And so to make everybody kind of satisfied, then, then when we use the term, well, that, what, what, we'll do, what we'll do is we'll call it servant leadership. But what I find in Scripture, that there is one leader. And his name is Jesus. I said it this morning, there's only one head of the church. And his name is Jesus. What, what I have found out is that he's not looking for leaders. He's looking for servants. And he's looking for people that are not looking for a position. But he's looking for, but he's looking for somebody that's willing to bow down and wash somebody's feet. He's not looking for somebody that's willing to thunder and beat their chest 
and say, well, look what I've done. They're looking for somebody that's got some tenderness to them that'll bow down and go, hey, nobody else may want to do this job, but I'll bow, I'll humble myself down and I'll allow God to make me what I ought to be in his image. And I want to tell you what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to change some hearts from people who, who, are, who have been hard-hearted and who are sons and daughters of thunder, but they want to give them some tenderness. Praise the Lord. That's what we need in the church. My goodness, I didn't feel like preaching all of this. But God is wanting to give people tenderness. Well, brother, I speak in tongues. Well, good for you. I don't care if you can speak in tongues. If you, if you can, if you speak in tongues and you can't love somebody and be tenderhearted towards somebody, you're filled with the Spirit, but that's not the Holy Spirit. Because if all we have relegated the Spirit of God to is the fact that we can, that we can speak in another tongue and we can say that we have our prayer language, but we're still hateful and we're still prideful and we're still hateful. And I'm telling you, you don't have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. That was free. That was free. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them. I don't know who that was for, but that wasn't for me. That was probably for you. Amen. Amen. But James and John, they were changed from sons of thunder to people of tenderness. Why? Because they followed him. Mary Magdalene was changed from demonic possession to dynamic power. Can you imagine what it would have been like before she followed after Jesus to follow her, to see her in town? To see the fact that there she is filled with a number of demons. People say, oh, I don't believe in demon possession. Come on. You ought to believe it. We're in a spiritual battle. That's right. And just because somebody ain't foaming at the mouth and rolling around on the floor doesn't mean that they're not demon possessed. Oh my goodness, let me just give you some scripture. Because here's the thing there's nobody on the face of this planet that is in between. Jesus looked at those standing around and he said, you are of your father, the devil. And here's the thing. If you are not filled with the spirit, then what spirit are you filled with? And I can just imagine Mary Magdalene is demon possessed and she goes throughout the town and everybody knows her reputation. She She's something different. She's the odd one. She's the one that has these spirits all about her. See, that's the reason why I'm, I don't know why I want to preach like this, but I just I just feel like just digging a little bit. You see, that's the reason why I don't let just anybody pray for me. That's the reason why I just don't let anybody speak into me. Not everybody has the right to speak into my life. Not everybody has the right to lay hands on me. Not everybody has the right to lay hands on me and pray. Well, you yeah, aren't you afraid that you're going to quench the spirit? No, I'm not. Because the Bible says that all to test the spirits to see whether or not they are going. Yes, sir. Ah. 
Mary Magdalene, demon possessed. She is controlled by the spirit of this world. The one encounter with the Lord sets her totally free and she follows after him. She follows him and she is one of the first that runs to proclaim to the disciples that are hiding behind closed doors because they're afraid. Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He is risen. And the same is true in this service tonight. He can take somebody that is bound. He can take somebody that is oppressed. He can take somebody that is depressed. He can take somebody that is possessed. And He can set them free. And He can turn them into people that are bound up, tied up, tangled up, and a weave of mess. And He can give them power in His name. Thomas was changed from skepticism to faith. When Jesus rose from the dead, He appeared unto ten of the disciples in that room. The Bible says that Thomas wasn't there. And they go and they tell Thomas, we have seen the risen Lord. And he says, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see the nail prints in his hands and I'm able to touch the, the, the nail pierced side of him. And it wasn't too long after that that he appeared, that Jesus appeared unto them again. Thomas was, in the, was there with them. And he said, my Lord and my God. You see... He can, following Him will take you to a place of unbelief to great faith. You see, a lot of us in the church have faith in order to be saved. We believe that God can save us. We believe that God can change our lives. That God can save us from hell if we would just call upon Him. But how many knows that as our, how many knows that we also need faith that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think? I tell people this all the time. You don't know that He's a way maker until you don't have a way out. You don't know that He is a deliverer until you find yourself in a place that you need deliverance. You don't know that He's a healer. Until the doctors come in and say there's absolutely nothing that we can do for you. And you ought to start making your plans right now. But God said, but His Word said, He was, he, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. He can take us as we follow Him. From skepticism to doubt. Paul the Apostle, he was made from a man who followed legalism to a man who was one of the, pre the greatest preachers of grace. 
that ever lived. You see, what some people overlook about the life of the Apostle Paul before he had his Damascus Road experience with Jesus Christ is that he would testify that he actually believed that he was doing the will of God and what he was doing. He really believed that all of these people that he was bringing to death was actually the will of God. Because, see, he was a devout Jew, the Bible says. He would testify of himself. And he would say, I am a, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was devout. He knew the law. He knew the Scriptures forwards and backwards and any other ways that you could possibly think of. But here was the thing. God was dealing with him. Jesus was dealing with him. That was the reason why when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, that Jesus would tell him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Is it hard for you to to kick against the pricks or the goats? Basically what Jesus was telling him, he says, you know, you know I've been dealing with you for quite some time. I've been after you for quite some time. Now you've got to follow me. And he tells Ananias, because Paul said, what what do you what would you have me to do, Lord? And he says, you go to a street called Straight, and it'll be told you there what you must do. And then God appears to Ananias, and He tells Ananias, Ananias, go down and lay your hands on Saul, so that he may receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost, and so he might see what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul the apostle becomes one of the greatest preachers of the gospel that had ever lived, and probably the greatest preacher. That has ever lived. And he talked about grace. He said, I was one. He said, I was one. He said that was bound in legalism. But I know this. I know that it is by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. And I want to tell you about the grace of God. I want to tell you in this house tonight, church, that if you would just be willing to follow after God, He would make you what He would have you to be. Stand with me all over this house this evening. Come to the keyboard, please. I have done my best in this house this evening to share with you what I feel like God has given me. To share with you what I feel like that God wants wants me to share. I'm going to assume everybody in this house tonight is saved. If you're not saved in this house tonight, God wants to save you. You ought to come to a saving knowledge. And tonight, you can make sure that your sins are under the blood. As the song says, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. Praise God. My sins are gone. But what I feel that God is calling the church is that God is calling the church to follow after Him. And there may be those in this house this evening that have said, that maybe have 
said to themselves. They may have not ever told the preacher, the pastor, the evangelist, anybody else necessarily. But maybe you have said to yourself, I know that God is calling me to something more than what I have already experienced. And this evening, I hear the Spirit of God say, if you'll just follow me, I will make you. You may say, well, preacher, I am following him. Is he the Lord over every area of your life? Have you yielded yourself completely? I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm just asking whether or not if you have yielded your life completely to Him. Because God is wanting to make some people in this house this evening. I really believe that. If we can do this, every head bowed, every eye closed. I know this is different. I know I didn't give an altar call like this this, this morning. But tonight I want to I want to do it this way. If you're here in this house tonight, church, and you can say, I feel like that God is speaking to me and He's wanting to make me into something that is far greater than I could ever imagine. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But God is calling me to a more intimate, a more closer, deeper walk with Him. If that's you tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift up your hand and just put it right back down? Is there one? Yes. Yes. Hands up through this house. Yes. Yes. Hands are going up all over this house. I believe that God is speaking to hearts and lives in this house this evening. So here's what I want us to do. I want, us, I want you to look this way. If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't raise your hand, but you still feel like the Spirit of God is talking to you tonight, I want to invite you to these altars and to kneel in the presence of God and to say, Lord, I yield myself into your hands. Make me what you would have me to be. If there's areas in your life, if there's barriers in your life that you feel like that you need God to tear down in this house tonight, call out to God and ask God to do that. As those that are coming to pray, if there are others, you are more than welcome to come. We want everybody that would to draw close to God in this house tonight. As they begin to sing, as they begin to Lead us in this time of prayer. Ask God what He would have you to do here tonight. God bless you as you pray.